Kafka on the Shore, Chapter 2 The following document, classified top secret by the U.S. Department of Defense, was released to the public in 1986 through the Freedom of Information Act. The document is now kept in the National Archives in Washington, D.C. and can be accessed there. The investigations recorded here were carried out under the direction of Major James P. Warren from March to April 1946. The field investigation in name deleted county, Yamanashi Prefecture, was conducted by 2nd Lieutenant Robert O'Connor and Master Sergeant Harold Katayama. The interrogator in all interviews was Lieutenant Connor. Sergeant Katayama handled the Japanese interpreting and uh, Peter William Cohen prepared the documents. Interviews were conducted over a 12-day period in the reception room of the name-deleted town hall in Yamanashi Prefecture. The following witnesses responded individually to Leftland Okono's questions. A female teacher at the deleted town, deleted county public school, a doctor residing in the same town, two patrolmen assigned to the local police precinct, and six children. The appended 1 is to 10,000 and 1 is to 2,000 maps of the area in question were provided by the Topographic Institute of the Ministry of Home Affairs. U.S. Army Intelligence Section MIS report dated May 12, 1946, titled Report on the Rice Bowl Hill Incident of 1944, document number PTYX 722-893-6745, 42216WWN. The following is a taped interview with Setsuko Okamochi, 26, teacher in charge of the 4th grade B's class at the public school in Deleted Town, Deleted County. Materials related to the interview can be assessed using application number PTYX722SQ118. Impressions of the interviewer, Lieutenant Robert O'Connor. Setsuko Okamochi is an attractive petite woman. Intelligent and responsible, she responded to the questions accurately and, and honestly. She still seems slightly in shock though from the incident. As she searched her memory, she grew very tense at times and whenever this happened, she had a tendency to speak more slowly. I think it must have been just after 10 in the morning when I saw a silver light far up in the sky. A brilliant flash of silver, that's right. It was definitely light reflecting off something metal. That light moved very slowly in the sky from east to west. We all thought it had to be a B-29. It was directly above us, so to see it we had to look straight up. There was a clear blue sky and the light was so bright, all we could see was that silver, duralumin-like object. But we couldn't make out the shape since it was too far up. I assumed that they couldn't see us either. So we weren't afraid of being attacked or having bombs suddenly rain down on us. Dropping bombs in the mountains here would be pretty pointless anyway. I reckon the plane was on its way to bomb some large city somewhere or maybe on its way back from a raid. So we kept on walking. All I thought was how that light had a strange beauty to it. 
According to military records, no US bombers or any other kind of aircraft were flying over that region at the time. That is around 10 am on November 7, 1944. But I saw it clearly and so did the children in my class. All of us thought it had to be a B-29. We, we had all seen many formations of B-29s and those are the only kind of planes that could possibly fly that high. There was a small airbase in our prefecture and I had occasionally seen Japanese planes flying. But they were all small and could never fly as high as what I saw. Besides, the way duralumin reflects light is different from the other types of metals and the only planes made out of that are B-29s. I did think it was a little strange though that it was plane flying all by itself, not part of a formation. Were you born in this region? No, I was born in Hiroshima. I got married in 1941 and that's when I came here. My husband was a music teacher in a junior high school in this prefecture. He was called up in 1943 and died fighting in Luzon in June of 1945. From what I heard later, he was guarding an ammunition dump just outside Manila when it was hit by American shells and blew up, killing him. We had no children. Speaking of children, how many were you in charge of on that outing? 16 altogether, boys and girls. Two were off sick, but other than that, it was the entire class. Eight boys and eight girls. Five of them were children who had been evacuated from Tokyo. We set out from the school at 9 in the morning. It was a typical school outing, so everyone carried canteens and lunches with them. We had nothing in particular we were planning to study. We were just going up the hills to gather mushrooms and edible wild plants. The area around where we lived was a farmland, so we weren't that badly off in terms of food, which isn't to say we had plenty to eat. There was a strict rationing system in place and most of us were hungry all the time. So the children were encouraged to hunt for food wherever they could find. The country was at war after all and food took priority over study. Everyone went on this kind of school outing, outdoor study sessions as they were called. Since our school was surrounded by hills and woods, there were a lot of nice spots we used to go to. I think we were blessed in that regard. People in cities were all starving. Supply routes from Taiwan and continent had been cut off by this time and urban areas were suffering terribly from a lack of food and fuel. You mentioned that five of your pupils had been evacuated from Tokyo. Did they get along well with the local children? In my class at least they did. The environments the two groups grew up in, of course, were completely different. One a long way out in the country, the other in the heart of Tokyo. They spoke differently, even dressed differently. Most of the local kids were from poor farming families, while the majority of the Tokyo children had fathers who worked for companies or in the civil service. So I couldn't say they really understood each other. Especially in the beginning, you could sense some tension between the two groups. I'm not saying they bullied each other or got into fights because they didn't. What I mean is one group didn't seem to understand what the other group was thinking. So they tended to keep to themselves the local kids with other local kids, the Tokyo children in their own little group. This was only the first two months though. After that they got along well. You know how it is. 
when kids start playing together and get completely absorbed in whatever they are doing they don't care about things like that anymore i'd like you to describe in as much detail as you can the spot where you took your class that day it was a hill we often went to on outings uh, it was a round hill shaped like a, an upside down we usually called it owa nyama note rice bowl hill it was a short walk to the west of the school and wasn't steep at all so anybody could climb it at the children's pace it took somewhere around 2 hours to get to the top along the way they would search the woods for mushrooms and we would have a simple lunch the children naturally enjoyed going on these expeditions much more than staying in our classroom studying the glittering airplane we saw way up in the sky reminded us for a moment of the war but only for a short time and we were all in a good mood there wasn't a cloud in the sky no wind and everything was quiet around us all we could hear were birds chirping in the woods the war seemed like something in a far away land that had nothing to do with us we sang songs as we walked up the hill sometimes imitating the birds we heard except for the fact that the war was still going on it was a perfect morning it was soon after you observed the airplane like object that you went into the woods correct that's correct i would say it was less than 5 minutes later that we went into the woods we left the main trail up the hill and went along a trampled down path that went up the slope of the woods it was pretty steep after we had been going for about 10 minutes we came to a clearing a broad area as flat as a table top once we had entered the woods it was a completely still and with the sun blocked out it was chilly but when we stepped into that clearing it was as if we were in a miniature town square with the sky bright above us my class often stopped at this spot whenever we climbed owanyama the place had a calming effect and somehow made us feel nice and cozy we took a break once we reached this square putting down our packs and then the children went into the woods in groups of 3 or 4 in search of mushrooms i insisted that they never lose sight of one another before they set out i gathered them all together and made sure they understood this we knew the place well but it was a wood after all and if any of them got separated and lost we would have a hard time finding them still you have to remember these are small children and once they start hunting mushrooms they tend to forget this rule so i always made sure that uh, as i looked for mushrooms myself i kept an eye on them and a running head count it was about 10 minutes or so after we began hunting mushrooms that the children started to collapse when i first spotted a group of 3 of them collapsed on the ground i was sure they had eaten poisonous mushrooms there are a lot of highly toxic mushrooms around here even one can be fatal the local kids know which ones not to pick but a few varieties are hard to distinguish that's why i always warned the children never to put any in their mouths until we got back to school and had an expert check them but you can't always expect kids to listen can you i ran over to the spot and lifted the children who had fallen to the ground their bodies were limp like rubber that's been left out in the sun it was like carrying empty shells the strength was drained from them but they were breathing fine their pulses were normal and none of them had a temperature they looked calm not at all like they were in any pain 
I ruled out things like bee stings or snake bites. The children were simply unconscious. The strangest thing was their eyes. Their bodies were so limp, it was as if they were in a coma, yet their eyes were open, seeming to be looking at something. They'd blink every once in a while, so it wasn't as though they were asleep, and their eyes moved very slowly from side to side, as if they were scanning a distant horizon. Their eyes at least were conscious, but they weren't actually looking at anything, or at least nothing I could see. I waved my hand a few times in front of their faces, but got no reaction. I picked up each of the three children in turn, and they were all exactly the same. All of them were unconscious, their eyes slowly moving from side to side. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Describe the group that first collapsed. It was a group of girls, three girls who were all good friends. I called out their names and slapped them on the cheek, pretty hard in fact. But there was no reaction. They didn't feel a thing. It was a strange feeling, like touching a void. My first thought was to send somebody running back to the school for help. There was no way I could carry three unconscious children down by myself. So I started looking for the fastest runner in the class, one of the boys. But when I stood up and looked around, I saw that all the children had collapsed. All 16 of them had fallen to the ground and lost consciousness. The only one still conscious and standing was me. It was like a battlefield. Did you notice anything unusual at the scene? Any strange smell or sound or a light? Thinks about it for a while. No. As I already said, it was quiet uh, and peaceful. No unusual sounds or light or smells. The only thing unusual was that every single pupil in my class had collapsed and was lying there unconscious. I felt utterly alone, as if I was the last person alive on earth. I can't describe that feeling of total loneliness. I just wanted to disappear into thin air and not think about anything else. Of course, I couldn't do that. I had my duty as a teacher. I pulled myself together and raced down the slope as fast as my legs would carry me to get help at the school.